Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Dylan Marma. Thanks for being on the show, Dylan. Thanks for having me back on the show, Whitney. No, I'm honored to have you on the show. You're a perfect guest and your experience and your track record has been amazing and, and what you've accomplished in a short amount of time. And so I know the guests and I both are, are ready to learn a lot from you and, and the information today. But if you're a listener and you haven't heard of Dylan before, I, I would encourage you to look him up and, and Rand Partners. But also, I would say go back and listen to show number WS255. It aired on July the 3rd. He was also on the show then. But a little about him. He began his real estate investing career in 2015. And by early Early 2018, he joined the team of Rand Partners with Jake and Gino. If you don't know who they are, you definitely need to look them up as well. Just an amazing group of guys and team. I've gotten to know them over the last couple of years and I highly encourage you to look them up in their events as well. I've been to all of them, I think. And so he works to expand into additional markets throughout the Southeast as well as to build out the systems to open up the doors to outside investors to partner through syndication. Has since been a sponsor on over 700 units and spends a lot of his time analyzing, underwriting new opportunities out of his home office in Knoxville, Tennessee. So Dylan, thank you again for your time. And you know, you and I were talking before the show and one superpower that you've developed is the due diligence process. And I know you've done speaking on that and different things. And I'm looking forward to us discussing that today and, and bringing out some of your expertise through that process uh, for the listener and myself. But maybe you give us just a brief update. So let's dive in. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, it isn't always the most sexy topic, but I have a few stories that I think are worth sharing and hopefully everyone's able to, to pull a few nuggets out of it. Uh, due diligence in itself is the process that takes place after you put the property under contract. Standard and multifamily, what's been standard historically is usually you have a 60-day close period, right? So you're going in, putting under contract, the day the PSA is signed, or oftentimes the day you collect all your due diligence documents, that's when the clock starts ticking. And you usually have about 30 days. We're seeing due diligence periods come into play. So I have a recent story that I'd love to share with the audience. Yeah, let's hear it. That's awesome. We'd love to hear it. So due diligence, as I mentioned, oftentimes it's 30 days. But when you're in a competitive market like we're in today, you are seeing shorter due diligence time periods. Oftentimes, pricing can't get any better. A lot of times when it gets very competitive, you might scratch out to a point where you're even on pricing with some of the other guys that are placing a bid. And the next way for you to compete when you know you can't go any higher in pricing is by terms. By terms, oftentimes you're seeing shorter due diligence periods or sometimes money going hard on day one, which means that either a portion or the entirety of your earnest money is now non-refundable no matter what takes place during the due diligence process. We don't quite feel comfortable with that just yet. There are ways to do it that are really effective and I have some friends doing. On this deal we, we recently had, we put it under a short due diligence. We gave it a week due diligence. Honestly, a week due diligence is plenty for us. We can go in no matter how big the property is within a day or two, three days if it's say over 250 units to be able to go on site, walk every unit, get a good feel for what's going on in the property and understand where the areas of difficulty or any challenges could arise are. Back to the story, in this instance, 
we had a property where it was relatively new built. I'm not going to go into all the specifics on it, but it was a relatively newer built property. Really did not expect, it was built in the last five years, didn't expect anything to take place in terms of problems. We said, what could go wrong? This thing's brand new, right? <laughs> Why do we even have to do due diligence, right? But obviously we still felt comfortable with so we said, let's, let's give it a look. Let's not go hard day one or anything like that. And let's make sure that, you know, we, everything checks out. So we went on site, brought our guys out there. The most important thing is to have the right place. I'm not going to say I'm the plumbing and HVAC or I didn't go to school for them, right? There's the guys on our team are certified. They've spent time going through getting the education. They spent decades working on properties, dealing with the challenges of, you know, the important things to look for as far as the bones building. So we went out and we had lead inspection guy and some of our lead maintenance guys on site. Typical for due diligence is to walk every single unit. Even if there's locks and you can't get in, always make sure you have a chance to lay eyes in every unit. In this case, there's no issues getting in, got in. Everything looked good at, at first glance. And what we had realized so there's a couple minor things that we saw, but there always is. There's things that you can live with and there's things that are non-negotiables. For the most part, throughout the entirety of the, the tour, we, we felt good about what we saw. And then towards the end, we spotted a type of hex or plumbing material that was faulty. At that point, and now here's the whole challenge with it is it, it appeared faulty to us and to our guys that eat, sleep and breathe this stuff, Right. It was not a proven faulty brand. It was a, a brand called Nibco. Nibco had been in two different lawsuits over the last 10, 15 years. They had rebranded in the early 2000s into the, under the name of Nibco. And then there was class action settlement in 20. Then once the settlement got taken care of, the company stayed in business, you know, and, and they kept on going and producing, right? So it wasn't newer built stuff had anything out in terms of a settlement or, or a lawsuit or the brand had a reputation for being faulty. Our guys saw the pecs and it's like if you or I were to eat chicken, right? And we know what chicken tastes like. If it's not chicken, we're going to say this, this isn't chicken, right? We, we know it. we've eaten it hundreds of times. It's the same thing with these guys, the way that they, they feel about the material. They're saying there's something wrong with this building, right? There's something wrong with this pecs material. We got to get out, right? This is dangerous. I like to think of it like it was in the early stages of having cancer in a sense, right? As a building, because if you catch it on the front end, it's going to be costly. But you, if you were to replace all the pecs and the plumbing, you can get out alive, right? But if you were to let that sit for years, what's going to happen is it's no longer going to be just a plumbing issue, it's going to then start to roll over and it's going to then be an issue with the sheetrock and, and the foundation and, and it's going to run through the cabinets and you're going to have to replace all kinds of things, anything that is remotely around the pecs and that gets very, very, very costly, right? It's the whole idea that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of repair, but it was a, it was a very, very heavy ounce of prevention on the front end and we had no evidence or anywhere else to prove that this was a, a faulty PEX or plumbing material. So that led to a point where we had to back out because we just couldn't make sense of it at that price. It would have been unreasonable for us to ask for any kind of a major seller credit or, or for any kind of uh, you know, renegotiation because someone else might go in there and they may say, well, we don't find anything wrong with this PEX material, right? But you know, we saw the leaks, we saw the, the challenges there. So, so that was a learning lesson. I, you know, we feel 
confident in our decision and walking away from that. You know, it's never easy to walk away, but in this case, it actually was, <laughs> we were on the fence at all. Once we got to a certain, once we've talked to our guys, we knew it was a no brainer that we had to go. So we felt good about making the right decision. Wow. And that's hard. You finally won this deal, right? <laughs> you know, and you're in the middle of the due diligence process and you have to decide to turn and, and walk away from it or knowing that's what's best. Well, what was the key in finding this problem though? So it again comes down to having the right team. Yes. I wouldn't have been able to spot this on my own, right? But one of our guys, Brandon, he's like our lead maintenance guy on our property management team. He comes with us to all the tours. He spotted out. He saw that it's, it's this white PEX material. It's the brand of Nibco. He said, this stuff's no good. And then we went and we started to further investigate and look beneath the sinks and look throughout the place. We saw that some of it had already been replaced, right? There was numerous signals to us that were showing that there was either leaks or there was areas that had been replaced. And really, like I said, it's almost an intuition thing too with, with someone that's worked around this stuff enough. When you have them there, they're like a th- telling you that this is not, <laughs> there's, yes. there's a flag going off in his head, right? So we really trust in what he, he saw there. Well, I hope you bought Brandon a steak that night. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, talking about doing due diligence in a week, I mean, of course, you know, I think about that. And I'm like, okay, we want to do it as fast as we can as well. But, you know, just thinking about that deadline, it's like, well, that's burdensome, right? But I would think, you know, you mentioned like, okay, due diligence usually starts as soon as you get a property under contract. But I would imagine if thinking that you have a week's time, you're probably trying to do as much as you can before you even have it under contract as well, right? I mean, what would you say you all were able to complete before you even got the contract? That's worth noting. Yeah, that's a good point. And a lot you can do, right? That's why I know oftentimes for people that go hard day one or early on, right? There's a lot of things that you're able to do ahead of time. Sure. And sometimes you can even work out agreements with the seller that they'll property or tour some of the units prior to the PSA done. Typically between the LOI and the PSA, there's a little bit over a week time span, right? That's what we typically find. So there's a lot of back and forth. The attorneys are racking up their bills on both ends and buying you time too, which is helpful. So during that time, you want to make sure you're taking advantage of it. Largely for us, we do a lot of very intensive market research. You know, if we haven't already physically secret shopped some of the local properties, we'll be sure to go out there and shop some of the properties. We'll be coordinating with our due diligence team and making sure set date on the calendar. So as soon as the contract is signed, we are out there 24, 48 hours right after that. We are in talks with our attorneys, syndication attorney, we're engaging them, we're engaging our lender. We're going through, if we're able to go through the, the rent roll or get access to any documents, we would do an early lease audit, but oftentimes that's not always the case. But yeah, those are some of the big things is really just getting all the team involved and getting all the pieces in place ready to go. Are there any other documents other than maybe rent rolls, expenses, things like the T12s that you are, I mean, just adamant about collecting during that due diligence process or what, you know, when you gather the documents? Yes. So the best piece of advice I have for this is when you're doing a lease audit, oftentimes you're just thinking about this, but what gets, doesn't get talked about enough is the application audit. I'm a huge believer that the applications can tell you more than the leases do, especially if you're buying from someone that's more professional. The lease audit is completely out of whack if you're buying from a true mom and pop owner or something like that. And it's, it's extremely important. Never a step to miss over. But, but beyond that is learning about the application. And this gets looked at in every other aspect of real estate. But for some reason in multifamily, people over, can overlook looking at a, a retail location value on that property is largely weighted thanks to the credit quality 
of have in place on, on a retail, right? If you have a Whole Foods in place, it's going to do better than have, you know, a, a local grocery store. So you have to really factor that in. It's no different with multifamilies. You want to ensure that you have high residence. It's actually more dangerous, I think, because in multifamily, a lot of times the owners can, they stuff it with whoever they can get in the door oftentimes, right? But within six to 12 months before you close in the deal, you're going to find people, they're just focused on getting the occupancy up so that you can get the loan and they can close the deal. What the application audit is going to tell you is, what are the incomes of the residents there? What are the credit scores of the residents there? How long have they been there, right? What is their rental history? Are they married, right? Who else is on the property, right? You're going to learn a lot about who's living there and you're going to learn things like, oh, wow, a lot of them work at the med center down the road or them are lower income. You know, a lot of them are working in part-time positions or they're college kids, right? And Sometimes what's disclosed to you on the front is not always what's going to be there. And I don't think that's from the owner necessarily lying. Sometimes owners things for 20 years, they totally lose sight. They might have, when they, maybe it was all people that worked at the med center and all of a sudden they realized there's actually, you know, 40% college students in there, right? Or whatever it might be, right? There, there can be a big change in the demographics as times change and areas evolve. So I think going through the application is extremely important. That's the one thing that I'd say is beyond your standard list of documents. I think that's a great piece of advice. And it's not something I hear talked about too often. You know, it's obviously tons of documents in the leasing office we go through. But yeah, looking at those applications closely, is not something I hear often. Anything else that you all are like, okay, we have to look at this. Mm -hmm. So we have a due diligence checklist. Right. And that is extremely important for us because there's a lot of small things moving all at once. Especially if you're in capital, you're working with investors, you're answering questions, juggling relationships with the lender, you're juggling stuff with the attorneys, you're, you have a million things you're, you're juggling, right? And, and it's hard to stay focused. So to stay focused and make sure you can beat, you need to have some kind of a, a checklist in place. So we're paying attention to everything from making sure we have our, our survey done, our title work done through phase one, checking if you need a, a termite inspection, checking with uh, code enforcement. We're going to scope plumbing lines. So making sure we have, we always want to run a camera down the plumbing lines because that can be one of the most costly things that you can overlook, especially if it's an older vintage building. Pay attention to that. You want to look for your COs or your certificate of occupancy, checking with zoning if needed. Just want to check the flood maps. Usually you want to do that prior to due diligence, but always you know, double check yourself there. You're going to have your insurance. You're going to want to see capital improvements. So not only do you want to see their operating statement, but what kind of money have they put into capital improvements that are going to you know, materially impact the property. You also want to catch that, right? Because if, if they had just been doing everything below the line as capital improvements, you want to know that in a, you know, truly in a big way how the property is being ran. And that's becoming more and more common in today's day and age. Um, you want to check for any pending litigation. You want to look at the all the operating statements. You want to check the bank statements and make sure that those match up with their place. Go through all the bills, all the vendors. You want to see every single around and see where you can where you can save money. Oftentimes they haven't negotiated these contracts. So this this is always where you know you find your value add is you know, have they really negotiated on the trash? Is there ways to cut that down? Is there ways to cut out, you know, cable contracts? Is there a contract in place and that you're gonna to have to go in because that could, you know, make a big difference in terms of uh, expenses, right? So you wanna pay attention to that. Insurance loss runs, 
any additional maintenance record. Those are the big ones, I'd say. No, those, that's a great list right there. No doubt about it. Going back to just something you, you we talked about earlier, doing this due diligence process in a week and going into a deal yeah, knowing that from the beginning, I think it's a testament to you know your team and your all's ability, how structured you all are. You know, everybody knows their lane, what has to be accomplished, uh, or else you're not even going to try doing it within a week, right? It's definitely given you all that competitive edge, and I think it's interesting though, on like this deal being as new as it was. It would have been common on something that new to have went hard day one, I think, with a lot of teams. But I think it was wise, you know, obviously here that you all didn't do that. But is there anything behind that decision to not go hard day one? I mean, you still won won the deal, you know, as far as getting it under contract. But anything behind that decision that, that would help us to learn how to be that cautious as well, even on a property that's this new? So I think that... We could have made the decision to go hard day one on this deal if we were to be a little bit more diligent on the front end. And we knew that, right? We knew we'd had to buy time to get on there and go through and visit. But if we had, at this point, it really is just a matter of you're talking seven days versus zero, right? It's not, not a huge difference. But if you're going to go hard day one, which is very common on new properties because of the whole, you know, oftentimes in multifamily, there's a huge as is clause on the contract right? Which is you're going to assume every single problem that could possibly be in existence with this property. And you're never going to ask us for a dollar again, as soon as we close. That's normal, right? That's how it is. And obviously on older properties that are 30, 40 years old, that requires due diligence because there can be a lot more newer properties. The typical thought process is what could be wrong when it's brand new. Why don't you just put some money down hard? And there is probably a little bit less that could be wrong. I would say if you're going to even consider it, which you might have to if you want to really compete and you're going to be doing newer stuff, but make sure that you give yourself time to get physically out there on the property. If you can get in the units ahead of time and actually do a, it's a kind of a fake due diligence, but it it would be an early due diligence before the contract's actually signed. If they would let you do that, that would be one op. That'd be the best case scenario because then you're, you're still getting what you want and you're just doing it in a way where you're doing it before the PSA is technically signed. And if that's not the case, I would at very least make sure you bring someone that's smarter than you or I might be when it comes to the bones of the building out there with you during your initial tour, if you will, and go through as many vacants as you can possibly get into, maybe check one or two that someone's living in so that you make sure the vacants aren't all you know pretty and, the, and there's something hiding in the ones that people are living in. I'd get into at least a good sample size and make sure that they're at everything that would be important that would be a major threat to you. That's actually what we're in the process of right now is after taking this and reflecting and learning, we're going back and we're thinking to ourselves, what are the negotiables, right? Like I said, there's things you can live with and there's some things you can't, right? So let's identify what are the things that we can't live with and make a clear list of those. So even before we even go into due diligence or go under contract, we have that clearly spelled out. We've already checked all the boxes to make sure that we can move forward after day one. Yes. You know, one big thing that, you know, it just seems like that's been crucial here is that you have expert team members you know, in specific fields. And I want to be very smart in all those fields. However, I want to understand that I'm never going to be the smartest person. I don't want to be the smartest person on my team about plumbing, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So, no, that's awesome. That, you know, just the team that you all have built. But it takes time to get there too, because for me, I'm such a big learner. That's where I get my energy. I love stuff and I like, I want to learn everything about everything. But there's just so many things to learn in this space that you have to come to reality at some point and say, okay, well, 
this isn't my forte, right? Let me specialize on the acquisition side or let me on the asset management or operation. Let the experts be the experts in this area because it would take so much time. It wouldn't be the highest and best use of my time to go and study this stuff to the core. Great advice. Well, Dylan, we're almost out of time, but I have a few more questions for you, you know, before we end the show. But how are you or your team prepared for this potential downturn that everybody's talking about? We're planning to hold long term. Really, our focus right now, we started off, built most of the portfolios, long term holds. Most of the syndications we've done, we have the intention to sell. We will because we want to promise, you know, fulfill our promises to the investors. But right now, with where we sit, we are looking at how do we avoid speculating on where the market's going to be and your exit risk or your interest risk. How do we mitigate those as much as possible? And also, how do we just take advantage of multifamily in the state it's in, right? The yield is not 10%. There are other places you can get 10% yields at this point. Multifamily is not always trumping with the yield. Maybe after a heavy value add, it can get there. But where it really trumps is a long-term confidence. I say it often, but how many businesses would you really bet on being here 50 years from now? Probably not that many. But there's, but there's a lot of apartment complexes and nice locations that you'd feel confident are still going to be there and someone's still going to be living in it in 50 years. So I think for us, we really want to take advantage of that. And we don't want to look, be looking back later in life, regretting that we sold. I like that. I like thinking about it that way too. That's interesting. So what's a way that you, you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? Recently, we've been on Asana and we've been doing a lot of project management work, which has been awesome for us. I think it's just really just getting the system to where, just like with the due diligence checklist, just get as much of the thought and the memorization out of the picture and make sure it's all down and every single process you do is documented on checklists. Even for simple was marketing, right? We weren't very consistent with that for a long time in terms of posting on social media and things like that. Now with at RANCRE on most social media platforms, we have all kinds of infographics and we have all going out. We take two days out a month. We batch everything out. So we'll actually sit there and spend one day designing all the infographics, designing all the captions. And the second day, just recording video after video after video. So we have the chance to just have it all on autopilot from there. We'll set the VAs, we'll have it all on the and we'll make sure that we have a post daily by just spending two days on marketing. Very nice. Or what's a way that you all stand out in your relationship with your investors amongst so many other operators? I would say it's the vertical and it's the fact that we started off with a lot of our portfolio bought in-house, right? We didn't start off in syndication. We started off buying with the intention to hold long-term and managing all ourselves from day one. And we're still managing it all ourselves, and we're still going after deals with that same sort of mentality. So I think for us, it's definitely just being vertical to the core. And what's the number one thing, Dylan, that's contributed to your success? Learning, reading. I love learning and reading. I actually enjoy when there's the barrier to entry is getting a certain topic. I think in multifamily, decent barrier to entry with getting you know all the fundamentals down and getting a full understanding of the big picture and how everything works together. So that would be for me, I would say that's my best strength. What's the top way you all are finding investors right now? Podcast, really. We have the podcast, We Love Our Profits. We do four shows a week. We have a lot of people reach out to us there. Secondary, it's referrals. And then third, it's social media. But primarily podcasts, then backed by referrals and social media. And how do you like to give back? Right now, I really like to through helping other people in general. I have a lot of people that reach out with questions on multifamily that I've built good friendships, relationships with, or 
whatever it might be. I have friends that are trying to get into entrepreneurship or business reach out all the time. Right? So I, I think for me, my sole source of contribution at this point is really just through teaching and educating others and just being available for questions as they're needed. Nice. Well, Dylan, great show. And we're out of time, but I love hearing stories about the due diligence process where you all obviously learned a lot and we can learn from that as well. And thankful that you had Brandon on your team and you all found that. And, and just congratulations to you all too, just building the amazing team that you all have. And it's been great to see your all success. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, of course. So thanks again for having me on the show. You can always reach me at Dylan, D-Y-N, at randcre.com, or you can find me on, I'm on most social media platforms, Dylan Marma. Awesome, Dylan. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Woody. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.